What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome back to the Baseball America Fantasy Podcast. This is your host, Jeff Ponce. As always, I am joined by fantasy baseball world champion, master of the Robo Scout, amongst other things, our lead fantasy analyst, Dylan White. How's it going, man? I'm going to make you wear that all offseason. World, <laughs> world champion, Dylan. Best fantasy player in the world. Uh <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Don't deserve that. Um, it's good. It's good. The uh, Everyone's kind of healed up from the uh, the virus that had ravaged through my family the last couple of weeks. And uh, I'm starting to get back uh, up to speed and uh, watching baseball playoffs. It's a good combination. Invigorating. Uh, getting everybody on the mend. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, also uh, doing your thing. Uh, you know in terms of the fantasy baseball world. So I wanted to uh, get into a couple of things this week. I don't think we really have any like deep fantasy analysis to get into necessarily because there's been no game since the last time we talked and there were no games at that point. So it's been quite a while and uh, there won't be any games coming in for quite a bit other than the, uh, the Arizona fall league. We can talk about that in a couple of weeks. Once we've had a little bit more meat in the bone there, it's only, been a week or so um so what's some things kind of brew and stew before we dig in on sample sizes there it's also the desert and uh i think you would agree that it is a uh a a, a positive run environment for hitters um and not necessarily for pitchers and there's a variety of factors there beyond just the the weather and the parks and all that sort of thing uh but the ball does fly out there in arizona that's for sure um I wanted to talk talk about really more like our processes in terms of evaluating players in the off season and in particular using numbers and, you know, statistics and data and, you know, all the different tools that we happen to have available to us. Um, But a lot of this stuff, I think if you look in the right places uh, is available publicly too. Um, so, Dylan, I wanted to sort of put you on the hot seat here a little bit, I guess, but you knew what was coming up. Um, in terms of how you sort of start your offseason process, whether that is evaluating major league players or prospects for Dynasty Baseball, and I don't know if the two necessarily differ for you, and if there is, I'm sure there is, some crossover in terms of the processes and the types of things that you do look at. Yeah, uh, huge question. Um, over the years, I in the off seasons, I like to play with the spreadsheets to see how, like projections before the season, how they came out after the season. I like to see if there are things that are predictive, say first half um, versus second half. Um, what's correlated? I, I use like Excel a lot. Uh, when I first started out, I just use Excel a lot using the like multiple regression and, and correlation uh, feature in the data analysis pack um, just to see, okay, what uh, what stats are correlated 
to like fantasy dollar value earned from like the Fangraphs auction calculator or like the Rasball player rater at the end of the year. And uh, I saw that the best correlated um, metric next to plate appearances um, is OPS. So just by having OPS and having the top OPS guys, you can find pretty much a very good correlation. It was something like 0.7 or something like that to fantasy dollars earned. And I think a lot of that's obviously sort of self-reinforcing. If you're, if you're have a high OPS, you're going to get playing time by your manager. And so if you get playing time, you're going to start getting runs in RBIs. And so it's kind of like a self-reinforcing loop. Um, but I found that to be very interesting. And so what I would do then is I'd say, okay, what predicts OPS? Um, what metrics are actually correlated to OPS? And, you know, you play with it and it's like, oh, you know, um, walks are correlated to, to OPS because walks obviously give you OBB, OBP is part of OPS, et cetera, et cetera. And so I started doing that. And then like, what kind of correlates to those things? Is there a thing that, that predicts walks? And so, like you saw, there's some work that like Jeff Zimmerman's done. Um, Rob DiPietro's been talking about it a lot. Like ball percentage for pitchers, for example, is highly correlated um, to walk rate, better than walk rate is. Like BB9 or BB percentage is better actually correlated. Uh, ball percentage is actually a more predictive than um, walk percentage, basically, of the future walks, which is interesting. So I just find things like that. And so I've set up all these spreadsheets that are kind of self-running now during the season um, for fantasy, where I just like download all these like leaderboards from fan graphs and I just plug them into my thing and it already does the calculation of like expected OPS or expected walk rate or expected, et cetera, kind of blends it in with like projections as well um, to get kind of that wisdoms of the crowd um, action going where I blend a bunch of things to predict OPS and I just kind of spits out a number. Um, I'm kind of getting into the weeds here, but that sort of approach is kind of what I've been doing for all things. So minor leaguers, what seems to predict, you know, OPS in the minor leagues, how, how does age affect, um, OPS, future OPS? How does the level, uh, affect future OPS? How do you predict walk rates, strikeout rates, batting average, things like that. Um, and that's kind of how RoboScout was born. We're finding like what the correlations are for predicting future metrics. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I can go into more details about that, but that's sort of, sort of like the, the hitter approach that we do. I, I kind of encourage, I like people to be sort of um, teach a man to fish type of thing. So it's like kind of explaining the process and they can find their own things. Like I, I didn't know about ball percentage until, you know, this, this year I was always using walk percentage or BB nine as, as my predictor. And now, you know, there's a thing to constantly refine sort of the process of, of how to use metrics to, you know, predict performance. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. 
I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Yeah, and I think as you find better numbers, too, um, it tends to, you know, uh, tighten your process and the results that you get and your confidence in it, right? Um, you know, and I, I, I obviously don't have uh, the machine learning uh, background or ability, I guess, <laughs> that you do. Um, but certainly play around with a lot of numbers. Um, and, you know, this is all sort of absent of, of, of any scouting notes that I get or any notes that I take myself or the things that, that I see um, because I probably weigh what I personally see the lowest of all the different factors when it comes to like what my actual process is. Um, it's really like, and I've had people kind of say this and it's, it's crude to put it this way, but a lot of in-person scouting Dylan, I feel is like just the, the bus test. Like, what do they look like when they get off the bus? Like, what does the body look like? How do they move? You know, like that, that sort of stuff, um, which is helpful. It, it certainly is helpful. And, you know, I think there are certain traits that are probably predictive, but it's difficult to measure those traits. Um, you know, in terms of like a, 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 a three-dimensional like way, right? Like, I think that that's kind of what the, the difficulty is. Like whether you're looking at like bat speed or some of these different things. Um, as I get into the process and I'm looking at numbers, um, the first thing that I do typically, and we have access to, to Synergy, which is obviously not necessarily public, and this is something that I'm sure you could you can do to an extent with minor leaguers. You can definitely do this with major leaguers. Um, whether it's a pitcher or a hitter, I really like to dig in from the split perspective of what the hitter's approach is like and what their strengths and weaknesses are like against left-handers and against right-handers. And whether that's a pitcher or a hitter, you can obviously do this. And... I try to isolate, like when I'm looking at synergy, I try to isolate each individual pitch by handedness. So I'm looking at 
what the fastball is like or what the results are like against left-handed fastballs for a hitter. And then I'm going down and looking at different breaking pitches. And then I'm, I'm kind of toggling back and forth between left-handed and right-handers, right? Um, and that gives me a pretty good idea of like how a hitter approaches it. So like, here's an interesting one that like came from doing some background work. I'd watched Victor Scott in spring training. I had seen Victor Scott in college. I saw him in the Cape. So I, I had a good scouting history with him and I was aware of the numbers. He was somebody that I had written about uh, a lot this year. Um, but as I dug into the numbers, I didn't realize when he's facing right-handed pitching, he's a left-handed hitter. When he's facing right-handed pitching, he's a much more standard hitter. All eight of his home runs came against right-handers. And, you know, he slugs a little bit against right-handers. He hits for contact. He's a very good contact hitter. That's never not part of his game. But what I noticed was he had 28 bunts this season, Dylan, and 24 of those were against left-handers. So as I dug into the numbers, I started to realize that Scott used his speed in the left-handers batter's box and his bunting ability to his advantage in his approach against left-handers because he doesn't really hit for for power left on left, which is always a struggle for left-handed hitters is hitting left-handed pitching, especially early on in their professional careers. And he really turned that and like walking and making contact going the other way into an art. So I watched all of his bunts because we have the ability to do this in synergy. So I watched all the video of all 28 bunts and he had a 708 batting average on bunts this year. Um, <laughs> part of it is he's a 70 runner, maybe an 80 runner when you consider the base instincts. There was a time and, and, and the most of the bunts were good. Um, yeah, he really just wears out that like grassy area between like the first baseman and the pitcher. That's just hard for everybody to converge on and kind of know who's going to get the ball. Uh, he hits that like on the head two out of three times and he flies down the baseline. Um, so like it's bunting, it's weird, but it's something where I was like, I'm kind of confident that he's got a plan of attack against left-handers. And I wouldn't have known that had I not dug into the numbers. And it gives me a much like more holistic picture of the type of hitter or the type of pitcher somebody is. Um, yeah, I'm not going to name names, but like digging into a pitcher today, I'm looking at it and I'm like, you know. His fastball was good metrically, good velocity. His pitch sits 94 to 95. It's got ride and a little bit of run. It was like a 17-8 profile, so 17 IVB, 8 uh, HP. So pretty good. Um, flat vertical approach angle was like a 4-4-4-5, Dylan. You know that I like that. Uh, and so I'm digging into all the numbers. And then I started to look at the performance against the pitch, and it wasn't very good. And so, like, we have – performance data and synergy. And then we have some performance data that we, we, you know, we, we get uh, through our reporting and sources, et cetera. And I started to see like, this guy doesn't really miss bats on this fastball. So it's probably not a 60. It's probably more like a 55 because of how it could play. And like, yeah, he's had some injuries. And then I'm looking at the secondary pitches and it's like, he misses bats with his curveball, and his, you know, his slider is more of a chase pitch. And it's like, it's very clear by looking at like some of the different rates on the per pitches uh, basis, what either hitters struggle with and what they hit well and what pitchers struggle with and what, you know, what their plan of execution is, uh, or maybe even things that you'll notice like, Hey, this guy should maybe not throw his fastball 50% of the time and shit up curveball and slider usage because those pitches work. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think I kind of got in a tangent there as I typically do, but, what I'm trying to say is like, I think by looking at 
isolating splits and like per pitch splits and really getting into the weeds of trying to isolate things, I always think helps in terms of understanding things that maybe you miss in the big picture. Because I think we're so used to looking at the season long big picture metric, everything blended in with a variety of situations. And that gives us a really good understanding and a really good picture off the bat of like the type of hitter somebody is, where he's a contact guy who's kind of aggressive and chases, or he's a power guy who maybe misses in zone. Um, but when he does make contact, obviously he goes a long way and he walks a lot and doesn't chase. Like there's all these different types of players and profiles. And it's the same thing with pitchers. And I think as you start to understand those profiles, then you can kind of put those guys in the right category of like, all right, like player A is, you know, in this three true outcome profile and player B is in that, that profile and player A is a better version of player B. And it kind of allows you to kind of understand rankings better. And it, once you understand all these players and you take your notes, what I personally do, and I don't know if other people do this, um, I make it real simple on like a one to five scale, I'll rate a variety of skills. And when I'm done doing that, I kind of total everything up. And sometimes like you'll like a player more based on those numbers and like you visually did or like what your instincts or, uh, you know, pre-programmed kind of perception of a player is from, you know, all the stuff that's out there about these guys from the time they're, you know, amateur players until, you know, they're on the cusp of the major leagues. So, yeah, I, I think that um, breaking it down and isolating a lot of different things is valuable. Um, but I think my direction often sort of comes from a lot of stuff and conversations that we've had over the last couple of years, even before we worked together, um, just in terms of seeing correlations between certain metrics and, um, you know, OPS or WRC plus, whatever it is that you want to do. Um, you know, and I've even done some of that stuff on my own, like tried to run some correlations, et cetera. Um, but I know that you've done it for a lot of the advanced metrics that we do look at. Um, what are some that do correlate well with OPS or different different stuff that you're looking at or FIP or whatever it might be on the, on the pitching side? Yeah, I mean, one of the things I like to do a lot is I find the things that are correlated to the key metrics and blend them. So strikeout rate, we all want strikeout rate. We all like strikeout rate for a hitter or a pitcher. Um, very important. Um, but what's correlated to strikeout rate? And so like swinging strike rate for, for a pitcher, contact rate for a hitter. And so you can find a correlation that if someone has a contact rate of 70% or whatever, that implies that they should have a strikeout rate around whatever that number is, 20, 22%. Um, if they actually have a strikeout rate of 28%, then you know either one is, either that 28% is too high for whatever reason, maybe his approach isn't good on two strikes, uh, it means not changing his approach, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so maybe it's overstating his strikeout rate and, or maybe the contact rate's understating his, his, his real strikeout rate because, you know, maybe he's trying to just kind of swing down. He's just trying to make contact and he's actually not making any good contact, et cetera, et cetera. Point is I blend the two. So you have a strikeout rate, you have like the expected strikeout rate that the contact rate is, is implying. And I'll do that for everything. What, what, uh, 
how can you find a correlation to like the way so with the ball percentage so i have the walk percentage i'll have the ball percentage i'll blend them all so i'm blending all these things to come up with like the overarching strikeout rate um home run rate is related to barrel rate and so like what is the home run rate that's being implied by this barrel rate and what's the home run rate implied by this exit velocity and i i blend 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 to kind of hedge and diversify so you're not kind of relying on one metric you're kind of having a bunch of inputs to come up with the metric um so all that to say um when we have the StatCast data, you can get the implied home run rate from the exit velocities. You can get the implied strikeout rate from the contact rates and the in-zone contact rates. You can um, get walk rates and strikeout rates from the chase rates. Um, you see these correlations that start popping up. Um, and then you can also see what are the more important ones um, for the like uh, OPS or WRC plus or, or WOBA, if that's the ultimate metric you're kind of looking at. Um, you can see that like the contact quality is more important um, than contact for future uh, WOBA or, or OPS. Um, so yeah, I, I wanted to actually go back to the thing about Victor Scott. Like th I think that there's a lot in there that I want to talk about. Um, what I what I like yeah. to do too, when you, when you say about like slicing down and, and seeing splits and stuff, I like, I look at my like RoboScout spreadsheet and I'll see some guys that draw my attention. And I like to form a conclusion just from the numbers of what I think that player is. And then I dig into it. So Victor Scott was one was like, Oh, who's this person who's like stealing all these bases? Um, let me like conjure up a picture of what I think he, that person is. And then I look and I see, Oh, he's incredibly elite defensively in center field. So immediately I have him at one level and then now he's up another level because I know he's going to get the playing time. I know that he has, you know, more than one tool in his belt that he can rely on. If he goes in a slump as a hitter, he'll he'll be able to still play because he's good defensively, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, on the other side of the coin, maybe it's you find someone who's like just crushing the ball, like Moises Balesteros, and has been crushing the ball. Then you look and you watch some video and you see, okay, he's not the most athletic or he may not stick a catcher. And so then you kind of move the needle up or down. I like doing that. So it's similar to what you're saying with the pitchers. You see a pitcher that's dominating. Um, and like we look at the other, oh, he's a good stuff plus rating or whatever. And then we look into it. And it's like, oh, he's he's a change up thrower in the complex. That's what it is. That's why he's you know having all this success. Or, oh, he's only throwing a fastball in the DSL. And he throws it at 94 and everyone else is throwing it at 90. And that's what it is. It doesn't have a very good shape. It's just, he's just purely blowing it by them. So he may have problems in the future as, as he progresses or develops. So I, it's, I guess basically it's kind of like a Bayesian approach to sound, to sound smarter than I am, where you have like this idea of what the player is. And then you adjust those priors up or down based on the new information, looking at video or seeing that he's good defensively or not good defensively, or he's, Oh, this is a, a first base only profile. So I'm not that interested anymore because you know, that all that power is, uh, is actually not that good for a first baseman. But if he was a shortstop, then, you know, that's an elite tool that we're not seeing. We're not used to seeing as a shortstop. So I, I like doing that kind of that layers. If you have the top level, what the data is showing, and then it's like, what is supporting that? or what is kind of taking away from that as you go digger, deep, dig, uh, diving deeper and deeper. Yeah. Um, I, I agree. Obviously, you know, it's something I do like after I sort of go through my process of looking at different numbers, because after I break down splits, I will look at 
the underlying data and you know if it's a hitter how hard does he hit the ball you know we have access to things like you know um like x wobacon and x woba against each individual pitch and run values um and you know i'll typically kind of be toggling between you know within my spreadsheet we have a couple of tabs i have one where i'm looking at data and then the next one where we actually have the breakdown and it uh which is something that you did um that sends the benchmarks for certain levels and certain ages and so i'll kind of toggle back and forth and be like all right like how does this compare how does this rake out okay like the performance maybe isn't like crazy on its face but actually the performance was actually pretty good or hey like the numbers against this pitch were high i saw this one with another pitcher today the actual like performance numbers were bad like the pitch was hit pretty hard but the expected numbers were pretty low and it was like all right like you don't usually see that and um the 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 discrepancy was pretty large so it was like all right well maybe like in the synergy sample there's a some pitches that are missing that were mismarked that performed really well which could throw off the sample as well um you know or or it's just one of those things where you just had bad luck on like where balls fell when they went into play and who his outfielders were on the corners and stuff i think that's especially with pitchers right and then what i'll do is because we have access to video i can then go in and isolate a variety of hits doubles you know etc and then see how the ball was played or where it fell and then how it came off the bat and be like, Oh yeah, that, uh, that was totally misplayed by the right fielder or, you know, the left fielder just straight up swiped at it and missed the ball or something like, you know, so we don't necessarily see that. And I think the other thing nowadays, uh, and this is a totally different aside, but, um, by having the access to isolate video and look at things, it's good because the scoring nowadays in the minor leagues, they do not give many errors. In comparison to what they used to uh there's a lot of you know they say what they some might say you know uh home team scoring i think it goes both ways frankly I think there's a lot of hits that get scored but not a lot of errors um so like just to be able to see that stuff and isolate it i think is um pretty valuable too you know looking at numbers is great of getting a a baseline and like i said you can really kind of refine what a profile is like you know, I think when you're when you want to watch, you want to be able to dig in a little bit more. Um, and it's one of the things that's kind of great about like Savant is you can't isolate some of those plays, etc., and get a better understanding of like how something happened with a major leaguer. Um, and that's when you know a publicly available tool like Synergy or something is really valuable when we're looking at minor leaguers because it does allow us to isolate uh, video and watch plays and understand like how it really did look i know this sounds like a giant commercial for like all these different things right now but it's not i mean it's just it's it's truly what my process is and you know i think um like i said not everybody necessarily has like all the the data or the data skills but i think you can do a lot of this stuff if you start to dig in and look at like swinging strike rates and then you know go back and watch some games i mean you can go back and you can watch you can look at this is something i used to do before i had access to any data is i would go back and i would look at game logs for players on fan graphs and i would see like hey where did isaac paredes who was a, maybe a prospect at the time struck out three times like all right i'm gonna go watch that game and skip ahead of those three three strikeout those at bats 
I think you can find it on MILB. And even if you want to, you can actually, even better is the game logs and baseball reference where you can go in, you can actually click on the game date and uh, the MILB page for the game and the box score will come up. Uh, so you can actually look, if you look at plays, you can look at when the strikeout happened and isolate it. Then go to the game. If you have MILB still, go to the game. You can go back. You can watch You can watch the game. You can watch the at-bats and say, okay, like he missed on breaking balls. Maybe that gives you a little bit more of an understanding. In total, it doesn't take that much time. Um, when you have the numbers in front of you and you kind of have a process refined, like I can kind of go through a report, I would say, in about an hour and really dig in and get all the information that I need and make my notes and kind of, you know, come to a conclusion about what a player's strengths or weaknesses are. And I think when you're talking about major leaguers, it's even easier because so much of it, uh, data and information is available. Um, and even with a lot of AAA hitters now, it's kind of the same thing. There's so much information available with AAA, AAA hitters if you really wanted to dig in that you could actually do a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, uh, I think a lot of it, I encourage anyone who is, you know, starting out on this journey of trying to go through data, um, go through and, and try to glean information is sort of back test and, and like ha ask questions and then see if you can answer those questions yourself. So like one, for example, is, is it better as a starting pitcher to have three pitches that are fifties or two pitches that are 55s? And so, you know, you, you kind of, I would, I would take, you know, Alex Chamberlain's pitch leaderboard and I would download the things I'd say, okay, find pitchers that have three fifties by my definition of what a 50 is, maybe whiffs compared to average or, you know, X Woba compared to average or X Woba con compared to average. Um, and then, okay, that's my pool of pitchers that have three fifties. And then, okay, what's a, what's my player pool of pitchers that have two fifty fives? And then I compare and see what their, you know, future outcomes were. Uh, and, and it's a blast if you if you like digging into the numbers. It's fun to just to see it. You like when you find some sort of conclusion that seems actionable. It's it's uh, it's exhilarating. Um, but uh, yeah, just and answer questions like that. It's like oh, okay, so is there something that can predict whether someone's going to have a fifty, or is whiffs the right metric, et cetera, et cetera? And just keep going down the rabbit hole of things that are interesting, and then you can find. Um, find answers like that or like hey, if if a if a prospect is got bad splits he can't hit lefties as a left-handed batter how much will that impact his development or growth like what's the bust rate then of players who have like a bigger than 500 ops difference uh versus righties versus lefties and then you know again create a player pool and look how they've done in the future um or comps who are if you someone's hitting 30 home runs in triple a as a 24 year old is that good and so download all the 24-year-olds at AAA who have hit 30 home runs and see, oh, there have been 40 of them and, you know, only two of them made it to the major. So, you know, kind of gives you example uh, ideas of possible outcomes and probabilistic uh, outcomes of that data pool that you find. So I encourage everyone to kind of play with it and ask questions and try to answer the questions yourself. We're always available on social media if anyone has questions on how to, like, go about something, what the processes, the method may be. And, uh, yeah and happy exploring. Yeah. And I think, um, a big part of it too, is obviously, uh, getting a good idea and baseline of what the averages are of the different metrics you're looking at. So, you know, what's good and what's bad, you know, um, I guess I kind of didn't mention that obviously, you know, you run the correlations, things like that. And you do 
run benchmarks. Um, but I think just people at home too, just getting a good understanding of what that, what that number is. And I always think um, you can sort of do that just simply by looking at leaderboards and digging around and, you know, uh, getting a, a better idea of like how all that works together. Um, Dylan, anything else before we wrap this up uh, that you feel in terms of your basic process uh, that we haven't discussed or an interesting angle? Uh, no, I think that, I mean, that as a high level is the kind of the process to take, but I think also maybe just don't, don't get complacent. Don't, don't think that, you know, because, you know, barrels are predicting home runs at this, mm. at this way, that that's going to always be the way, because if they switch sure. the ball or if, you know, the shift isn't allowed anymore, like things change. So you have to constantly refine and, and back test, as I say, um, you know, yeah. the correlations of the metrics that you, you find, like maybe, fastballs that uh, are flat are, are the rage right now. And they're the ones that are dominating and all that. But when everyone's starting to throw the flat fastballs, then, you know, maybe it's something else unique is the one that uh, is going to be more pr productive and predictive of, of success. So it's like, it's a never ending process. It's dynamic, which is part of the fun um, that the, the cutting edge is always moving. Absolutely. Well, on that note, uh, let's wrap this up, send everybody home. We'll be back with next week with some other conversation of some sort. I think we might have something in the works, but uh, I'm going to keep that a secret. All of our listeners that made it to the end of the show, uh, you can know that there's something good coming out very shortly. But thanks for tuning in. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com.